Thanks for listening to this message brought to you by Cornerstone Christian Church. For these and other great resources, please visit us at sparkswillfly.cc. I want to start reading here and see where we all get to. First Chronicles 22, you there? You pray for me, I'm a little under the weather. Somebody's blessed me with a cold. So I'm looking to bless and impart. So uh, <laughs> freely you have received, freely give, amen? So, uh, <laughs> but uh, I'm gonna do my best with it. First Chronicles 22. Father, we just thank you for this time, Lord, to get into the Word of God. Lord, give us ears to hear and eyes to see what the Spirit of God is saying to us, to the church. Give us eyes to see, Lord. In Jesus' name. This is coming today. My thoughts have been here for some, some time, but I've just got through reading a book. Share some of that with you. It just really just out of my life of what I've seen and experienced. Um, and, and so I want to read this text. First Chronicles 22. Then David said, this is the house of the Lord God. And this is the altar of burnt offerings for Israel. So David commanded to gather the aliens who were in the land of Israel and the appointed masons to cut hewn stones to build the house of God. And David prepared iron in abundance for the nails of the doors of the gates and for the joints and the bronze in abundance beyond measure and cedar trees in abundance for the Sidonians and those who were, those from Tyre brought much cedar wood to David. Now David said, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced. And the house to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent, famous, and glorious throughout all countries. And I will now make preparations for it. So David made abundant preparations before his death. Pen, they so much in that you could preach right there. Then he called his son Solomon and charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. And David said to Solomon, my son, as for me... It was in my mind to build a house to the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me saying, you, you have shed much blood and have made great wars and you shall not build a house for my name because you have, because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. Behold, a son shall be born to you who shall be a man of rest and I will give him rest from all of his enemies and all around his name shall be Solomon for I will give peace and quietness to Israel in those days and he shall build a house for my name and he shall be my son and I will be his father and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever and I want to talk about this morning just from the thought process of walking in inheritance 
And the thought process of building from a place of rest. You with me? So let's travel on this journey together. Father, again, we thank you for the reading of your word. Father, I'm asking you to supply that which makes preaching effective. And Lord, give us a clear understanding of your glory, your greatness, and who we are in you. In Jesus' name. Now, it was in David's heart to build God a house. And If you read back, I think it's in 1 Chronicles 17, that's where Nathan comes back with the word to David and gives David the instruction that he's not going to be the builder of the house. He can be one to prepare the builder of the house, but he's not going to be the builder of the house because, because he was a man of war. And that God wants his, ha- his house built with a son. Listen to me. Only sons walk in inheritance. Orphans never receive anything. Slaves don't receive anything. Only sons walk in inheritance. So God wants to move us into a place of sonship. Are you with me now? And I'm going to say some things that's probably going to rattle some of you if you've got a Pentecostal background to the core. But I'm telling you, there's some things shifting and, and some things changing. And that God wants us out of, this, out of this place of war into a posture of rest where we can receive as sons and daughters of the kingdom. You with me? You going to help me? And so Catherine and I started out on our journey when, when we first got married. We were on staff at a church. And we all, we, we, we knew extremely about warfare. We knew how to war with God in our praise. And one of our, our uh, statements, uh, our vision statements was Psalms 149, that we walk with the high praises of God in our mouth for the pulling down of strongholds. So I know all about warring. And, but what I seen as a church that believed it was battle ready and arrayed for battle, we didn't, we didn't experience a lot of breakthrough in the things that we were, we were contending for. And I, I've met a lot of binding and loosers, but I, I would beg to say I've met few that has seen very much fruit from binding and loosing. Hello. And so I remember getting a book along, and some of you've read this book, but I remember there was a pastor that called, uh, that called John Paul Jackson and said that we're having miscarriages left and right in our church. We can't get a baby to tote a, we can't get a woman to tote a baby to, to the fullness of time. And even one now is, is, is spotting. And so he called John Paul for prayer, and he said that, um, he, he, he said, would you just pray over us? And so John Paul prayed, and that night he had a dream. And in this dream, he saw this cowboy-type figure. It was a preacher. He knew he was a preacher, but he was in cowboy-type clothing, and he was slinging hatchets at the moon, and God spoke back to him and talked about a man that, attacks demonic spirits in the second heaven. It's his foolishness is throwing hatchets on the moon. And so he called the pastor back the following day and he said, what's, what's going on at your church? He said, well, we got, we got the intercessors are praying and, and, and we going and we're contending for some things and, and we're just contending for breakthrough over, over the spirits that are hanging over our city. And God spoke to John Paul Jackson and told that man, he said, you repent of what you're doing and you stop those intercessors from praying right now over that city. And as they withheld that, that woman that was bleeding, stopped bleeding, and they started giving their babies the full term. Are you with me now? Now, do I believe that the believers got authority? Absolutely. I believe that God has entrusted us with the keys to the kingdom. Are you with me now? Come on now. But I want to I wanna travel on this journey this morning and show you some of what the Bible says. Listen to this. A victorious life begins with right thinking about God. 
A victorious life begins with right thinking about God. We have allowed poor theology to identify us as survivors waiting on the rapture instead of overcoming, advancing the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. I prayed for my first 10 years as a Christian that I would make it to heaven, friend. I want to tell you this morning that I am on my way to heaven. There's no way I'm not going to make it. Come on, somebody. I've been sealed in his love to the day of redemption. The Bible says no man can pluck us from the Father's hand. We need to rest and sure in his goodness this morning that what he did on the cross friend he finished it once and for all there's nothing else to do we don't have to ask God for more God's already came he's already sent the Holy Spirit he has filled us with the fullness of the Godhead on the inside of us we need a revelation of who we are and who's on the inside of us This is why the Bible says, greater is he that is in you than he that's within the world. What lies within us is greater than what lies ahead of us. Are you with me? We don't have to pray these prayers. God, would you please go with us when we leave the building? Why are we praying religious prayers that he ain't answering no way, friend? He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I don't have to crawl in my vehicle and say, God, will you protect me as I'm going to Atlanta? The Bible says, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I'm covered with Christ himself and the glory of God shall be my rear guard. I don't have to pray that prayer. I'm a little Pentecostal, that's why I holler. So listen. One lie we have believed is there's an increase in demonic activity in our day. There is absolutely not an increase in the demonic activity in our day. Hello? We have given the devil attributes that only belong to God. We have empowered this monster that is devouring the church through lies in our belief and our theology. He is a devourer. And and he is the father of lies. And when you bite into that lie, he will devour, friend. But if you know the truth, the truth will make you free. Now, listen to this. According to Revelation 12, 4, Satan... Leviathan, Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 36, fell from heaven and he took one-third of the angels with him. He hasn't increased. This is, this is how I was raised. In Genesis, he shows up as a serpent. And in Revelation, he's a dragon. And we've, we've, we've taught that, that devils come from the little serpent to this magnificent large dragon. That's an absolute lie. Come on, church. He's still the same deceiving lying serpent that he was in the Garden of Eden. My God. But see, if we believe that we are up against all the hordes of hell trying to make it, you're going to spend your whole Christian life in the stance of warfare instead of walking in the cool of the day with your loving father in a place of communion with him, friend. Listen, we were on the way to preach in Thomasville, and Danny was telling us about Isaiah 35, the highway of holiness. And Steve started talking about devils, and Danny said, listen, we ain't got to fight no devils. The devil's already been defeated. I come to tell everybody in this room, your fight is not with darkness. Your fight is not with the spirit. Your fight is the fight of faith to get your spirit man, to get your flesh man lined up with what God says and pursue the promises of God for your life. All right. 
if one-third fail, that means there's two-thirds still there. And they on our side. Look at your neighbor and say, they're far more for me than what's against me. I said they're far more for me than what's, me, than what's against me. Jess said something last Sunday. I got in a tizzy yesterday because something, something got me all up in a tizzy and I got all worked up. And Catherine just sent me this little picture and says, God shall fight for you. And it just calmed me down and said, you know what? Hey, man, what God's promised me, there ain't no devil going to steal no how. Ain't no human going to steal what God's promised me. Come on, somebody. I wish preacher, we as preachers got to get a revelation of that. God's given us a slice. Come on, somebody. He's given us people to come to build the vision all that's in our heart. All right. Let's go. How many remember Scooby-Doo? In the Scooby-Doo episodes, it showed t- these teenagers trying to find these supernatural beings. You remember they would, they would find they'd try to look for these supernatural creatures or whatever that that created these crimes and it, this and through many twists and turns, what would they always show at the end of the thing? It was just somebody masking as something supernatural. Now I'm just telling you, that's what happens a lot of time is the enemy wants you to believe there's a supernatural being. Come on, somebody. All right. Let me, I'm going to read some scripture right here where we make it legal, some more scripture. I want you to go with me, and I'm going to read these out of the Passion Translation. Number one, because I love it. I told you, if you're looking for this, you can see um, Brother David over here on the right. He can order it for you. But I want to read these verses of Scripture right here. I want to read the five main verses on warfare in the New Testament. And I want to show you they have nothing to do with the devil. You ready? It's the book of Timothy in the Old Testament. Somebody help me here. Like a new map. You got to learn how to run it. First Timothy 1, you all right? I'm in verse 18. So Timothy, my son, I'm entrusting you with this responsibility. In keeping with the first prophecies that were spoken over your life. And are now in the process of fulfillment in this great work of ministry. In keeping with the prophecies spoken over you. With this encouragement, use prophecy, look at this, as weapons as you wage spiritual warfare. By faith with a clean conscience. As you wage spiritual warfare by faith with a clean conscience. Paul is not instructing Timothy that he's got to engage warfare in the cosmos to see his prophecies fulfilled. What he is encouraging Timothy is, is you got to wage warfare with your prophecy with who? You. You got to line yourself up with what God's saying. A lot of times, God may call you out and say you're going to be financially blessed beyond measure, but you might be in the great, you might be in the season of the greatest lack you've ever experienced, and you got to wage war with that word. Are you with me now? And this is how you wage war with it. I don't care what my pocketbook says. I don't care what the bank account says. God said that my finances was going to turn around. God said I would be the head and not the tail. He would bless me in the city and bless me in the field. He said he would bless me coming in and going out. This is the warfare. The warfare is between the ears of the believer. It is not in the cosmos. It is in the ear between the ears of the believer. 
Fear comes into attack and says you'll do lack. But God said, God said, but God said, this is what he teaches Timothy. If you ever go walk in it, you got to remind yourself when it ain't there, when it don't look like it's coming, when it seems like it's miles away, when it don't seem like it'll ever happen in your lifetime, and all the cards are stacked against you, you got to wage the warfare and say, but God said. I know what they say, but God said. I know the doctor said, but God said. I know I know the deal fell through. But God said, this is how we wage the war. No devil's got anything to do with it. Because the enemy knows, listen, the enemy knows he has no authority. So what he wants to use is your authority. You are the one with the authority. Oh, my God. If you will see him not as some big bad dude but a hijacker. Come on, you the one that's bad. He's trying to hijack your aircraft to get you to come in agreement with him. You are the only one. Listen, your greatest fight is not with any devil. Your greatest battle is you. Lord, imagine how I could preach if I didn't have this coal. I could throw it down. Look at this, 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm trying to help myself. I ain't preaching nobody but me and my own right here. Listen to this. I got to learn how to do these. Second Timothy 2, verse 3. Overcome every form of evil as a victorious soldier of Jesus, the anointed one. For every soldier called to active duty must divorce himself from the distractions of this world so that he may fully satisfy the one who chose him. Overcome every evil and victor as a victorious soldier of Jesus anointed one for every soldier called to active duty must divorce himself from the distractions of this world so that he may fully satisfy the one who chose him again this has nothing to do with the devil but how his attitude should be when he is facing hardship now let me tell you something everybody in this room is going to go through some storms Everybody in this room is going to go through some night seasons. Come on, somebody. But we have the promise of his word, though weeping endure for the night, joy cometh in the morning. There is daylight, friend. Come on, somebody. There is this, but and it came to pass. It will come to pass. And he's telling Timothy how his attitude, come on, somebody, how his attitude is to be during a time of facing hardship has nothing to do with the devil. Right here at First Peter. First Peter chapter two. We're gonna get some scripture in this morning. Y'all taking some time off from some Bible reading through the holidays. We're getting it in, catching up. Listen to this. My divinely loved friends, since you are resist are resident are resident aliens and foreigners in this world. I appeal to you to divorce yourselves from the evil desires that wage war within you. Is he talking about an external war or is he talking about an internal war? 
He's talking about what? Something that's operating where? In the flesh. In the soul. A lot of stuff that we want to blame on the devil is because we won't take responsibility to taking our flesh to the cross. Oh, hello. You got responsibility as a believer. Just look on. James 4.1. What is the cause of your conflict and the quarrels with each other? Doesn't the battle begin inside of you? As you fight to have your own way and fulfill your own desires? Again, this war that he is describing is not an external demon. Let me ask you something. If we're binding the devil here in Sparks, and they're binding the devil in California, we just gave him an attribute that belongs to God. He's not omnipresent. Hello. Most of the church know the Holy Spirit as commander-in-chief instead of comforter and friend. Now let me ask you this. When we talk about our position and we think about our position is we got to press for breakthrough, and I'm wired for that. So I said I'm learning. You got to understand I come up under some strong I mean, I was told how to lace my boots up as a soldier. And, but it did cause me after years into it to, to question. Because most of the intercessors that I knew of that was praying over our cities were broke, not healthy. Talk back to me. Broke, not healthy, and their families looked like hell ramshacked kids strung out now how can a warrior that's called to stand in the furnace of heaven as an intercessor on behalf of God if they don't have no more protection than that then how in the world could I ever stand a chance and then we come up with this kind of theology where a greater level is a new devil that's an absolute lie they ain't no new devil come on church you mean to tell me that a promotion from God, I've got to fight my way through the promotion? No, God promotes me in the presence of my enemies and said, look at what I've done for him. Right in front of the accuser of the brethren. Come on, somebody. We've got to change what we believe about God. Most people see the Christian life as one struggle trying to hold on, hold on to the pew and make it to the end and maybe he'll have mercy on us to let us into the kingdom of heaven. That is not what Jesus went to the cross. He said, I came to give you life and life more abundantly. The believer should be thriving. Come on, somebody. Walking in divine health, walking in prosperity, burying lack and killing poverty. This is the life Jesus died for. Religion came to give you some beat up casket to hold on to until the end. Now listen to this. 2 Corinthians 10. Oh, we fitting to get into some warfare. 
Look at this. For though we live in the natural realm, we don't wage a military campaign employing human weapons, using manipulation to achieve our aims. Instead, our spiritual weapons are energized with divine power to effectively dismantle the defenses, dismantle the defenses behind which people hide. We can demolish every deceptive fantasy that opposes God and break through every arrogant attitude that is raised up in defiance of the true knowledge of God. We capture like prisoners of war every thought and insist that it bow in obedience to the anointed one. Since we are armed with such a dynamic weaponry, we stand ready to punish any trace of rebellion as soon as you choose complete obedience. Listen to this. I forgot the author's name. Forgive me for not writing it down, but in his book, Dress for Success, he talks about that some of us, I do believe that we can carry patterns, patterns of thought from the unrenewed life that we once lived, right? Come on, somebody. You with me? And we take them into the new life because when you get saved, we used to sing that, that how many souls are saved tonight? That is not true. It's how many spirits are born again because you're saved in your spirit, man. You are a three-part being. The kingdom of God resides from the inside out. Religion works for the outside in, but God works from the inside out. Just give somebody time and let the seed of the kingdom take a part in them. Come on, somebody. If they're walking with God, that seed will mature in them, grow in them, and Christ will be formed in them. Come on, somebody. This is why Paul said, I labor to what Christ be formed on the inside of you. Religion tries to conform you to what it thinks it should look like from the outside in. The Pharisees was the cleanest group of guys looking. Come on, somebody. But Jesus called them whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones because they looked right on the outside, but they didn't have nothing on the inside. John, on the other hand, looked like some crazy lunatic wearing a camel's hair and eating locusts, yet he had the divine revelation of who Jesus was. So in this, what he's talking about is it is referring to a person making an immovable decision to take charge of his mind and, and the thoughts of his mind captive. Here is the role of the believer. If you want to change your life, you will begin taking a mandated role of taking your thought life captive. What? To anything that exalts itself against what? The knowledge of God. He goes on... Paul goes on to say anything against what exalts itself, the knowledge of God. What is the believer? Not to know his weapons, but to know God. God, this is good. Not to know how many spirits is over a city, but to know God. And when you know God, you can take captive what exalts itself above God. If you want to break poverty, keep take, start taking captive thoughts that it come lack, going to do without. You're going to be, pull them down. It's in trying to exalt itself above God. That ain't what God said. God said you're the seed of Abraham. You're blessed of the most high God. That's what he said. He said he hath given us, not will, he hath. He hath, Ephesians says, given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Man, I know I sound angry, but I am tired of infants trying to sit there and come to my office. The devil's just doing, the devil ain't doing nothing. Take your position in God and take authority over your mind and your life. Go to your house and open the door and say, devil, get out. The kingdom of God's in this house. 
Cut the TV off. Get your country music and throw that mess down the road. It ain't going to do nothing but bring depression and get kingdom stuff in your vehicle. Call me all holiness if you want to. I still like a little country. But I'm, I mean, come on. I ain't going to sit there and listen to that all day long. We got on the ranger the other day and Grant had an old song by Red Akins on that. That ain't my truck in her drive. Man, this ain't my day tonight. That's all right. But I can't listen to that all day. Because that is my truck in her drive. And it is my day because this is the day the Lord has made. You got to learn how to take it captive. Hello. Well, I just ain't got no power. I just... Man, come on. Come on. The Bible says this, that when it's all said and done, we're going to look over in the pit and say, my God. I mean, you mean to tell me that wrote it? You mean to tell me caused men to fear and tremble, held up nations, And it don't say that Michael's going to throw him in there. It says an unnamed angel. When, when, you ever read the book of Psalms where it says the weakest one among you? Come on, somebody. Y'all read the Bible? Have you ever read Isaiah where it says the weakest one among us is going to be like David and the strongest going to be like God? This is where we're headed. But the church in the south, especially where we live, has got to do a lot of transformation. We still praying for the sick like this. If it, be, if it be God's will, we don't even know what his will is. His will is to heal that person on the face of the earth. Hello. For this reason, Jesus was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. If Jesus destroyed the works of the devil, then how in the world is he still armed? Lord, I got to go get in the prayer room. I'm, I'm preaching like Danny. I'm violent. I am mad. Devil, listen to this. How many believe that God is restoring us back to the Eden lifestyle? Got about four people in the room. Okay. Got a lot of teaching on that. Listen, if God is restoring us all the way back to the Garden of Eden, and He is, not with the first Adam, but the last Adam, which is Jesus. You with me? Why did He never instruct Adam on warfare? Not one mention of warring. Not one mention of the spirits. I'm fixing to probably make some people mad. That's all right. But I remember we got this book, Pigs in the Parlor. I threw that thing in the trash can. Ain't much on the Holy Spirit, but there's everything on some demonic spirit. The church is fascinated with demons. I said the church is fascinated with demons. That's why they write that stuff, because fear sells. Oh, don't give me. Come on. I can get up on some latest book sales in here and get thrown out. I mean, I'm not going to read how, how everything's happening in America's coinciding with Israel and we just headed for hell in a handbasket. Because Jesus said, when I return, will I find faith on earth? It don't take no faith to believe things is going to get worse, but it does take great faith to believe there's a reformation coming that the world has never seen. And I refuse to embrace an end-time eschatology view that does not give me hope and it does not cause me to have faith in the one... 
Not one time did he tell Adam about a devil on the loose. He never instructed him. He simply said what? Walk with me in the cool of the day. Adam never had entered into his mind that there was a demon, a devil, or anything. All he knew that there was God. If you walk with God, enough demons will come out. Jesus even said it like this when he sent them out. And they come back and said, Lord, the demons are subject to us in your, in, in your name. He said, don't rejoice the fact that the demons are subject to you. Rejoice the fact that you have fellowship with me and your name is recorded in heaven. He immediately corrected their view. It's not about demons. It's all about me. Come on, church. That's good. Look at this verse right here in 2 Corinthians 11. Verse 2. You know, you need to know that God's passion is burning inside of me for you. Because like a loving father, I pledged you, I pledged your hand in marriage to Christ, your true bridegroom. I've also promised that I would present you his fiance to him as a pure virgin bride. But now I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's clever lies, your thoughts may be corrupted. And you may lose your single-hearted devotion and your pure love for Christ. What he's saying is, the goal is for me to just have single focus on God. Listen to this, the key to victory is not understanding Satan devices, but the knowledge of God. Never find a fake by studying the fake. I've never understood this. We have people circulating these books in our church about all these different spirits. Why, I, I, I'm just, why would you want to study the fake to understand a fake? You study the real. And if you know the real very well, you don't, you don't pick up counterfeit 20s by studying counterfeit 20s. You pick up counterfeit 20s by studying the way a real counterfeit, uh, the way a real 20 looks like. Today, on our intercessors that looked, pigs in the parlor, Neil Anderson or whatever, whatever the bondage breaker, Whatever it is, all of that, not one of them. Not one of them's walking with God today. Spirit-filled, tongue-talking believers called to tear down walls and tear down hell, not one of them with God. Now, this is the way we were taught. This is where if, if the service was hard, I'd bind the devil for 10 minutes. When, when you do that, you gave him everything he wanted, your worship. Every book that you read about demons is the time that you took your gaze off the Father. Come on. And the reason why we're trying to study it out because we don't believe what he said about us in the first place. It comes from a root of fear. Go on further. Somebody will throw me out. That's all right. Listen to this. Isaiah chapter 9. Can we go to Isaiah chapter 9? Listen to this, Adam, Adam did not, he had no, he had no record, I don't even know there's a war going on. Now think about this, I got this from uh, Pastor Jack Hayford, in his book, Rebuilding the Real You, 
Ezra in the Old Testament is a, sign, is, a, is a picture of salvation coming to a believer. Nehemiah is a picture of the Holy Spirit, and it is, he rebuilds the walls around the temple that they just built, right? And so think about this. Someone said, well, the devil's doing this, and the devil's doing that. And let me ask you something. If we have, if we have a three-foot wall of solid concrete, and then we build on the inside of that another six foot and a car rammed the side of that wall right there. We would not even know what happened. Why would we not know what happened? Because it, the wall absorbed what, whatever it was. We wouldn't even know that exists. I'm just simply saying the attacks that we're talking about coming from the devil are not attacks coming from the devil. It is, it is, un, it is the unrenewed mind at work in the believer. It is uncrucified flesh that you're unwilling to take to the cross. Because, see, we live, in a, we live in the microwave society. We want the quick fix. We want to be able, we want to, be able to just like here, you know, just lay your hands on me one time right here where I won't watch another dirty movie. That ain't going ha- to happen. It's when you see that lust, you flee from it. You don't take lust captive. You run from it. Hello? You don't bind it. You don't pray to try to cast it out. You flee from it. All right, I got to go on. Where, oh, man, we, we good. We good. I got an hour on this trip today. Y'all right? Look at your neighbor and breathe. I know we dropping a lot right here. Just go home and track me, okay? All right, Isaiah chapter 9. Listen to this. We've got to develop. Look at me. You and I have got to develop the victory mindset. Let me tell you something. Christ has already won the victory. You don't have, there's no war. Christ already won the victory. It's already been won. Look at your neighbor and say it's already been won. I'm not saying, now listen to what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that there's not hardship. I'm not saying that there's trials and tribulations. But we know the war that is going on. I'm not, I, do I, there, is, there is spiritual warfare. I'm not denying that fact. But I am getting us out of an overemphasis of carrying bows and swords around. Because we're never going to build anything with God. Babies are not born during the time of battle. Babies are born during the bedchamber. Gosh, that's so good. The reason why the church can't reproduce because we're on the battlefield. If we'll come off the battlefield into a place of communion with God, we'll, we'll reproduce some things up in here. And we got to quit taking our Christian life trying to kill everything from the past. Generational curses. I got to kill everything from my legacy. I want to ask you this question right here. If I died with Christ, then how in the world can anything be in my past? Answer that question. If I died with Jesus Christ at the cross, how could anything be in my past? If he said old things have passed away, behold, all things come new. What do I got to go back and kill? I'm trying to tell you, you are empowering a lie that does not exist. Jesus died and became a curse on the tree so you and I could live a curse-free life. Cursed is everyone on the tree. I am not paying today for what my daddy was an alcoholic. I don't have to be an alcoholic today because I got to go break some generational curse. I'm not an alcoholic today because I said yes to Yeshua, Jesus Christ, and became a whole new creature and a whole new bloodline is residing in my family. 
quit taking stuff out of the Old Testament and making that application like it is a New Testament principle. Let me ask you this. If that is true, why did Jesus take the man from Gadara and say, My God, man, with all these demons in you, we got to take you through, we got to take you through Sozo? And mind the book, just, just get mad. Go on here. I'm trying to make somebody mad. Why didn't he take them through Sozo? Why didn't he take them through the 12-step program? Why didn't he get them over here in the bondage breaker? And why didn't he take them through all these things that these spirits that has hounded him from his past? When Jesus, when he accepted Christ, boom, instantly victory came into his life. Jesus didn't send him to two years of ministry school. He released him as a five-fold evangelist in that region. Stuff we grew up believing. Well, if you was a Pentecostal boy, you got saved. Then you got sanctified. However long that process took, a sanctification. I believe in sanctification. But we got saved, sanctified, then we got filled with the Holy, Holy Spirit. And if you talk to a good Pentecostal, they'll tell you like this. Well, in 1984, I got saved. In 1985, I was sanctified. In 86, I was filled with the Holy Ghost. If you've not been filled with the Holy Ghost since 1986, you are an empty believer. Are you with me, friend? You got to drink from the fountain every day of your life. Oh, man, I got to quit. Listen to this. Nevertheless, I'm developing a victory mindset. Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who distressed as when at first he lightly esteemed. The land of Zebulun and the land of Neptali and afterward more heavily oppressed her. By the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Look at your neighbor and say, you've seen the light. Those who dwelled in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light is shone. You have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of harvest. As men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor. As in the day of Midian, and for every warrior's sandal from the, noil, from the noisy battle and the garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel for the fire. I want to tell you today, take your boots that you've been worn with and your, your, your warrior's coat and use it as fuel for the devotion. Throw it in the fire. Did not we declare prophetically last Sunday that this is going to be a year that we see God fight for us? Now, I want to I want to buy something I can't I ain't never seen I want to buy something I got money to buy it, but I can't buy it I gotta wait and so Catherine looked at me last night she said John I don't care who comes up I don't care who who does whatever if God says it if God says we're gonna own it we're gonna own it I don't give a rip because God's for us it's time we as believers start walking like we got a real God not some what not hung on the shelf we ain't serving some Buddha we got to rub and maybe maybe something line up in our favor come on somebody I, was, I had divine favor released over my life I don't have to pray for it it was released over my life when Jesus hung on the cross he released favor over me alright look at this for every warrior's sandal from his noisy battle and his garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel for the fire. Look at this. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. 
and the government will be on his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful, Mighty, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David over his kingdom to order it and establish it with justice and peace. From that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will what? Perform this. Who's going to do it? God will. I've already quoted this to you. 1 John 3, 8. This reason Jesus was revealed, was, was revealed to undo and destroy the works of the devil. That's good. Read right here one more time. Colossians chapter 2. I'm almost done. Some of you yawning. I guess I'm not preaching good. But I'm, I'm about to get there. Can't, I, I know you can't eat all this in one setting, but I, I'm going to deliver it anyhow. You chew on it. Listen to this. Then Jesus, this is, this is Jesus right here. This is Jesus talking about the devil that we're trying to defeat right here this morning. This is Jesus talking about the devil we're trying to get rid of. The lies we believe empower him. Listen to me, friend. That's why I don't care how much bondage I get in. You ain't never fitting to see me at some meeting and stand up and say, my name is John Bagley. I am an alcoholic. I refuse to be labeled that. I will never say I'm a drug addict, porn addict, lesbian, homosexual. And you will never hear me say I'm a sinner saved by grace. You will never hear me say I'm a sinner saved by grace. I was once a sinner, but now I'm a saint of the Most High God. I'm a son of the living God. Are you with me now? I'm a king's kid, a royal priesthood, a chosen generation. Come on, somebody. I'm a carrier of the presence, the kingdom of God, joy and peace and righteousness in the Holy Ghost resides in me. Come on, somebody. All powers he's given unto me. Come on, somebody. The keys of the kingdom are in my hand. See, if you don't live like that, you got to ask God to open doors. But when you walk with God, he gives you a key and you open the door when you come to it. Hello, quit begging God to open doors. Walk as a son in worship, knowing that Isaiah 22, 22, the key of David, he is given to the worshiper. And when you get to the door that needs open, just stick the key in and open it. Why? Because your father's giving you access. This don't sound like what I heard in Sunday school. We stand up and had testimony service. Testimony service was praise the devil for 15 minutes. How he beat the hell out of the church. We just lost some on the uh, viewers right there because of preacher cuss. Preacher, you pray that we hold on to the end. Devil been on my back all week. The Bible never says he makes it that far. The Bible never says he makes it that far. And you say, well, he's supposed to be under your feet. Let me say, the Bible says, sit right here to Jesus till I make your enemies your footstool. He's up under Jesus' feet. Did you hear who I said he's up under Jesus' feet? And the reason why he's up under my feet because Ephesians says I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. I'm sitting right on the other side of the love seat with him. Come on, somebody. And his feet is propped up on the earth till God makes his enemies his footstool. And the reason why I rule and reign ain't because of how much Bible I know. It ain't because of where I go to church and it's not because I'm a preacher. It's because I am seated with Christ in heavenly places. All right, we, we almost done right here. This devil we trying to feed. Look, look at this. Look at this. 2 Corinthians 2. Then Jesus made a public spectacle of all the powers and principalities of darkness. 
stripping away from them every weapon. Junior, am I reading the Bible up in here? Stripping away from them every weapon and all their spiritual authority and power to accuse us. He ain't got no power to accuse us. I'm in Colossians 2.15. And by the power of the cross, Jesus led them around as prisoners in a procession of triumph. He was not their prisoner. They were his. He was not their prisoner. They were his. And if they were his, that means they're mine. That means my addiction, I'm not a prisoner to it. It's a prisoner to me. You're not a prisoner to cancer. Cancer's a prisoner to you. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost in this room. You hear me? I'm telling you, I feel the authority of Yahweh God Almighty in the name of Jesus. I come to set you free from migraines, from torment, from fear, from anxiety and depression. You are not the prisoner of that. It is the prisoner of you. It belongs to the spoil of the kingdom of God. And it's time you rise up and take your place and say, I refuse to be under anxiety and fear any longer. I'm tired of you torment. You are my prisoner because Jesus took you captive. What if we counseled like that? What if somebody in this room really believed that right there? Oh my God. Listen to this. I'm going to finish with this. 2 Corinthians 3.18. One of the things that Kathy and I will tell you that we saw firsthand I've read about it in books, but I've only seen it happen one place, and I witnessed it happening. Just get on, man, I, I know people going, just get on any, any, any website. Go to the Lodge list. 86 spirits is going to attack us this year. Leviathan's released. Jezebel's on the loose. Man, are you kidding me? I mean, is it, I'm just, I'm just, is this, is this what it's like to be a Christian? We were sitting down talking the other day and he's talking, to, uh, he was just, Daniel was sharing with me about this preacher, whatever, was watching or whatever, just using fear tactic after fear tactic about giving. If you don't do this, this is going to happen. If you don't do this, this is going to happen. I'm just asking you. I'm just, maybe, maybe I'm overboard. Don't nobody judge me from one message. But you mean to tell me a man that fellowships with God, I don't have, I don't have four gallon, I don't have four 55-gallon drums stored at my house in storage with meal rations. Y2K, buying generators left and right, going to all fall under. We used them generators when the hurricane come through. Glad we got them. Come on, church. You mean to tell me a person who fellowships with God, that loves God and goes into prayer, if something like that's going to happen, God's going to speak to us. How do you know that? Matthew 6 says don't worry about tomorrow. 
He says, consider the lilies of the valley. Consider the sparrows. They neither toil nor work, yet your heavenly Father takes care of them. How much more? Am I in the Bible? How much more are you than the sparrow? What happened? We got all up in that tizzy, that spirit of fear. I was up there at the phone company. We had to held us up there all night. It's all going down tonight. 12.05, we calling. Hey, what's went down? Where did it all happen? One o'clock, we went home. Y'all stick it out if y'all want to. There ain't nothing happening. Let's go home. Now, something fitting to happen. God's big enough to speak to Joseph and say, listen, they seven fat cows coming. That's seven, that's seven good years. You better store up for the seven lean years. I'm just trying to, I'm, I'm not beating nothing up. If somebody I trust that heard from God, I know walks with God, and they tell me to get some meal rations, I get the meal rations. But what I'm just saying, man, some of this ain't nothing but fear packaged up because it sells. The reason why, the reason why CNN is telling you how bad it is and Fox News and all the rest of them because that's what's pushing the ratings. This is why, why you think economists are standing up talking about, oh, we're heading into a recession. We're heading into a recession. We're not heading into a recession. I mean, how can you say that, Pastor John? Because tell me where Jesus said that the kingdom is going into a recession. He said that the government of his kingdom, there should be no end. Come on. I got to finish with this. Look at your neighbor and say he's almost done. All right, he's done. Put your seatbelt on, we're descending. Coming in for the airport for a clean landing. I don't know the way this is going to look. It might be bumpy right here. Somebody may get, don't lean too close to the front seat. I, I don't want you to bust your lip on this one. Look at this. This got me right here. Look at this. We can all draw close to him with the veil removed from our faces. And with no veil, we all become like mirrors who brightly reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus. Look at this. We are being transfigured. I'm in 2 Corinthians 3.18. We are being transfigured into his very image as we move from one brighter level to glory to another. This is the life of the believer from glory to glory, from faith to faith. Our church, we studied the Jezebel spirit. Where's she at? She's in there somewhere. I feel her. I feel Jezebel. <laughs> Listen, I've been privileged to preach a few places. But most people I see that's harping on religion are so bound up in religion, they rebuking the religious spirit. And I'm a guest minister, and I'm thinking, Lord, the very one you rebuking yourself, I mean, you ain't up with it. Jezebel. We studied Jezebel. We studied Francis Frangipan's Jezebel. We studied, we studied. If you want to listen to a message on Jezebel, the best one I've ever heard in my life was Robert Morris, Gateway Church. Phenomenal message. I'm not saying she doesn't exist. I believe she exists. But every church in Revelation that had an issue in the first seven churches, everything he addressed, Jesus then reminded them of who he was to get their focus off of Jezebel back onto him. Every church he addressed, then he reminded them who I am. 
Revelation is not a revelation of the apocalypse. It is the revelation of who? Jesus Christ. And what I did watch is a thriving church who studied the spirit of Jezebel get hijacked and taken down and demolished by the spirit of Jezebel. Lesbian spirit released in that place. Church don't exist today. Casualties everywhere. So listen to this. If you study, look at me right here because I want you to leave with this. Whatever spirit you study, you will manifest and you will have to fight. Look at me again. Whatever spirit you study, you will manifest or either you will have to fight. Because whatever you behold, you will become. I'm going to say it one more time. Whatever spirit, youth pastor, trying to figure out what's going on with this generation. What's got them bound? What's got them bound? Studying the spirit of this age. Well, they started looking at all this different stuff and studying, trying to figure out, you know, how to combat it. She goes to his pastor. And he says, stuff that I had defeated for years in my life are now raging war against my soul. Raging war against my soul. Why, why is this happening? Pastor looked at him and said, what are you studying? He said this. He said, when you set your gaze to study that, you open the door for that to reign in your life. You close it. I'm just asking you, church, show me where Jesus, in the life of Jesus, he laid the warfare maps out. Where did he, throw, where did he lay the maps out that says, study this? Where did the apostle Paul lay it out? Nowhere. Our study is to be about the Lord Jesus. Our communion is to be about the Lord Jesus. And if you commune with him, what will happen is an inheritance as a son and daughter of the king will start possessing your life. Now when we pray, we don't pray like beggars. I'm trying to help myself out. I spent half of my Christian life praying as a beggar. God, would you please do something? Nowhere in the New Testament do we find one prayer for healing that they ask God to heal anybody. Nowhere in the book of Acts do we find any, any apostle, any member of the, of the church in the book of Acts asking God to heal anybody. Peter laid his hands and said, be healed. Why? He was simply enforcing what had already took place as God's ambassador. Be healed. Be healed in Jesus' name. Even the way the church does salvations, we take them down the Romans road not one time in the book of Acts did they ever take someone down the Romans road. And Paul answered that when he was in the Philippian jail. He answered that question What when the jailer said, what shall, I, what shall I do to be saved? Paul never said, confess your sins. Come on, somebody. Church, I'm trying to help us. Paul never said, confess your sins. Cry a bunch of tears. He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. What I'm going to tell you to do, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be delivered. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be healed. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be set free. It's believing in what he's already accomplished for us. 
And here's the journey. This is the journey I prayed. I wrote in my thing in 2019 in my journal. And this is what I said. Stanton gave me a nice journal. And I wrote this. I said on December the 5th, 2018, Terry found a gold coin in our church. After asking everyone around sitting in the area if it was theirs, and no one says it was, and Larry insisted, it's your gold coin. We brings it forward on that Wednesday night service, you remember it, and I looked at it, and it was a Thomas Jefferson gold dollar. I took that Thomas Jefferson gold dollar home, and Catherine says, you're not going to believe this. John Bentley found a gold coin today. And as we realized, as we begin to Google that Thomas Jefferson won the second re-election on December the 5th. We found the coin on December the 5th. That night I told this church on December the 5th, I said, if you're on the road to destiny, God will always pay dividends on destiny. And God has always provided me with the shekel in the fish's mouth. Are you with me now? If you go in our home in John Bentley's room, in John Bentley's room, he has a huge wooden swordfish on the wall. He had found that gold coin and put it in the fish's mouth on his wall. And I looked at his coin, and on his coin was a gold dollar. And I asked him, I said, John Minley, how did you get it? He said, I walked to the snack machine going to get some Cheez-Its, and I pushed in 132. And as I punched in 132, the Cheez-Its didn't fall, but the gold coin came out of the snack machine. Who puts a gold dollar coin in a snack machine? Danny says, no one. So we got home, and on his coin was John Adams. It was a gold presidential dollar coin with a John Adams on it. And as praying into that, John Adams is known for one of the letters he wrote to his wife, Abigail. And he said this. He said, I must study war and politics so that my sons can study mathematics. My sons shall study mathematics so that their sons can study music. He goes on further into that. And I believe that the father on December the 5th was highlighting a pathway to legacy. Are you with me now? Lighting a pathway to inheritance, if you will. Come on, somebody. That Thomas Jefferson created the light bulb, which is illumination. And God was saying on December the 5th, son, I want you to take this church on a journey into their greatest inheritance they have ever known. And I'm going to illuminate the pathway. And the pathway is no longer going to be war. You're not going to get it through war. You're going to get it through rest and inheritance of what's already been laid up for you. That is where we're at and where we're going. My God, that's good. If it, say, say that's a, just say that's a coincidence. I'm leaving you with one more testimony. Wednesday, I left the office, go home, sit down with Catherine. She said, you want some good news? She said, you don't believe this. I said, yeah, give me the good news. She said, mom called today. They just settled my grandmother's estate. And she said, my grandfather that died in 1986 left some money in an account, in an investment account. And they found in the estate, in the will, that that money is to go to the grandkids. And she said, so tomorrow when you go to Jessup, she said, you need to pick up my check my grandfather left me in 1986. I said, it's time that we walk in the inheritance 
Paul never prayed that we know more of God. He said that I pray that the eyes of your enlightenment be open to the understanding of the greatness of the riches of the inheritance of the saints in Christ Jesus. May our eyes be opened up to what God really done for us 2,000 years ago. My God, does anybody in here want to walk in victory? Does anybody in here about ready to get some victory over anxiety, depression, fear, poverty, whatever's held you back? I'm telling you this morning, it is not there. It has been broken over 2,000 years ago. Pull the sword that you're trying to kill the devil with and cut that thing off of your life and go in God. Stand up with us. Raise your hands. It's simply receiving by faith. We got to get from all this feely stuff too. You ain't got to feel it. I remember Kenneth Hagin says this. Kenneth Hagin says, I believe God's going to heal tonight, not because I've seen him heal. Not because I feel anything. I believe he's going to heal tonight because his word says he's a healer. I believe some people are about to walk in something not because of what I feel. Not because we got an inheritance from Cat's grandfather from 1986. But because God said the richness of the inheritance in the saints in Christ Jesus. We had someone in our home last night and Catherine was telling about how we got married and I said that I said she just loves me because I'm wealthy. She looked and said, you ain't well. I said, woman, I'm, I'm very wealthy. About four people in this room might think they're wealthy. I'm wealthy not because of what my bank account says. I'm wealthy because the full kingdom of God resides in me. I'll never walk a day of lack in my life because God is within me. David said it like this. I've been old and I've, I've been young and I've been old. I ain't never seen God's seed out there begging for bread. Come on, somebody. I don't care if I'm by a river brook, he'll cause a raven to come in and feed me. Come on, somebody. And the day the raven don't fly, he'll send me to a widow at Zarephath. Come on. I'm telling you, it's time we, it's walk, we, we walk like we got a real God. Now, I can't be in here for the next five years as your cheerleader. Somebody got to grab it. Father, I declare right now, every chain be broken right now by the power of your spirit in this room. Every chain of addiction be shattered right now. Every anxiety, every root of depression be snapped right now and be broken off of this people. We take authority over those thoughts right now as ambassadors of the kingdom and we strip them away right now. Every thought of unworthiness, every false humility, we shatter it right now with the truth and reality of the kingdom of God. I thank you that you are 100% for me, God. You are 100% for me. If you be for me, then who in the world could be against me? I thank you that I found out this morning that you've already won the war that I've been trying to win my entire life. You've already won it for me. And all I have to do is sit down at your feet and in your lap and receive the inheritance that belongs to me in Christ Jesus. I am an, I am an heir to the throne of God. I am a king's kid, a royal priesthood, and a chosen generation. I will not fear. You have not given me a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. Depression don't belong to me. Sickness don't belong to me. Sickness don't belong to me. Pain doesn't belong to me. Rejection doesn't belong to me. A false identity doesn't belong to me.
I received this morning by faith everything that Jesus accomplished for me on the cross. I believe on the Lord Jesus with my whole heart. I thank you, Father, for transforming my life as you help me through the authority of the Holy Spirit to transform my mind. I refuse to be conformed in this world, but I will be transformed by the renewing of my mind. In Jesus' mighty name. Now, I want you to shout this. You are victor in Christ Jesus. Shout it. Come on, let it be known. Amen. God bless you all. We'll see you here Wednesday night. Thanks for listening to this message. For more exciting content, visit our website at sparkswillfly.cc and connect with us on social media.